Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Are you praying effectively? What does that mean? Are you praying as the Word of God teaches a disciple to pray? The fact of the matter is that most believers are not. And why is that? Well, most people pray this way. I have a problem, and I want God to solve it. I have a need, and I want God to meet that need. Or I have a desire, and a want, and I want God to give it. That is not how we are taught to pray in the Scripture. We should pray for an entirely different reason. And what is that reason? Well, we're going to see in today's study that Messiah is going to reveal something very important to us, and that's this. When it comes to effective prayer, we need help. And the good news is this, that God has provided the helper. And hear that term, very important, the helper, in order that we can pray effectively. And that means that God is going to hear and respond in accordance with his good will. And God's will is good. Take out your Bible and look with me to Luke's gospel and chapter 11. The book of Luke and chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 5. And he's teaching us about a situation, a happening, and that we need to have the right perspective for understanding what's going on in this situation. So verse 5, and he said to them, who's speaking? Messiah is. And who's he speaking to? Disciples. And what has he began talking about? Well, last week, hopefully you'll remember, he began speaking about prayer, praying effectively, praying that God will get involved in your life. And here's the good news. God wants to be involved in your life. And if you have entered into a new covenant, and that is that new covenant that comes through the gospel, he is part of your life. He has promised never to leave you or forsake you and that he's available to you in order that he might work in your life. Let me say that differently, that he might work in your circumstances for a specific outcome. And here's what we have to understand. That outcome is not what I want, what I desire, what I think I need, or what I think I deserve. See, here's the problem. Most people, they turn to God for a reason. And that reason is this. I have a dream. And I believe that this dream is my destiny. And I want God to move in my life in order that that dream becomes my reality. 
What I would say to you is this. More often than not, that so-called dream, that destiny that you think is from God, isn't from God at all. What is it? It is satanic propaganda. God oftentimes allows us to be in a situation, and that situation is to test us. Now, realize God never tests us by encouraging us to do something that's wrong. God is not a tempter, but God expects his people to overcome tests. And the test that we have to overcome is one of discernment. And what am I speaking about? We need to be able to discern what is God's will for my life and what is not. And most people today who are believers, they are not spiritually equipped they do not study the word of God effectively in order to be able to discern what is God's will for my life. Why is that? Because knowing God's will for your life is not something that just happens to you. God just doesn't zap you with the understanding of his will for your life. God reveals his will from an obedient walk with him. And that is such an important biblical truth. You say, where is that found in the scripture? I'll tell you. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 7. Their God is speaking through Moses to the people. And they are being encouraged to obey his word. And what do they say? They say this. We will do and we will hear. Now, most English Bibles they change this entirely in order to make it logical that we will hear and obey or we will simply do and obey. But when we look at it in the original language, and of course the book of Exodus is in Hebrew, when that expression, it literally means we will do and we will hear. And why is that so important to understand the literalness of that, that text? Because God is saying this. It is out of you doing the word of God. That means obedience. It is out of your obedience that you will hear. We will do and we will hear what we will hear. When we're walking in obedience to God's word. That general obedience to his scriptures will position us whereby now we can hear from him and we will learn what is God's design for my life. What are his purposes? What does God want from me? That doesn't happen naturally. It is an outcome of an obedient walk. So obedience leads to revelation. We see many examples of that in the scripture. And Messiah is going to reveal to us in this passage of Scripture, it is only when we pray according to the will of God, then God is going to move mightily in our life. So Messiah, he is speaking to them, that is a group of disciples, and he gives an example. He says, which from you should have a friend and he should come to him? In the middle of the night. Now, that expression that he should come implies that he's coming with a purpose. There's a reason that he comes 
at that inopportune time in the middle of the night. No one enjoys being woken up. No one enjoys an unexpected knock at your door at midnight or some other time late in the middle of the night. But this is what happens. And notice why this one comes to the other one's house. It says here, and he should say to him, friend, lend to me three loaves. Now, I hope that you've been studying with me long enough to realize something. Numbers are important in the scripture. And if you look at the number three, and by the way, that number appears frequently in the scripture, you will find that three, more often than not, is in the scripture for the purpose of revealing something. Three is a number of testing, and we test something to find out information. And therefore, there is going to be revealed in this passage of Scripture information in regard to effective prayer. So he gives them this example. Look again. He says, which from you, meaning among you, should have a friend, and he should come to him, meaning come to you in this context, in the middle of the night. And this one should say to him, meaning this one should say to you, friend, lend to me three loaves. Now, why is he doing this? He tells us, look at verse 6. Since my friend has arrived from a journey unto me. So what has happened? It's in the middle of the night. And this friend has come from a journey. And he has arrived at that very time from that journey to this one's house. And this one, as we're going to see, he says, as we keep reading, and I do not have that to sit before him, to place before him, meaning this. I have nothing to offer him. He's traveled a great distance, and by the way, that word for a journey implies a significant one, not just from uh, a few blocks away or across town today, but a significant journey. And therefore, one who has journeyed, he's hungry. He doesn't fly. He doesn't take a car back in those days. For the most part, he walked. And therefore, he is thirsty. He is hungry. And this one understands something. See, if you look, for example, at the book of Genesis, chapter 18, we see three individuals. And those three individuals represent God according to the context. And I believe this is a great example of the Trinity. And we see that God appears before Abraham. And three men are walking by, and the implication is, they were going to pass Abraham. But Abraham got up and he ran and he invited these three into his home and he gave them food. Hospitality is an important commandment in the scripture. We are told to entertain even strangers. And we know in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, it says, many of you have entertained strangers not knowing that they were truly angels. And therefore, this one wants to practice 
that same faith of Abraham. He has a guest. He wants to provide for them nourishment. But the problem, once again, is he has nothing to set before him. Verse 7. And that one from within. Now we're talking about the home that was knocked on. This friend came knocking at the door in the middle of the night, asking for three loaves of bread. And this is going to be the response of that one from within. Notice the scripture says, verse 7, and that one from within, he answers and said, do not trouble me. Already the door has been closed. Now, what's interesting here is this. When we look at the grammar, that door has been closed. The grammar tells us it was closed a long time ago. It is still currently closed. He didn't open up to see his friend. He spoke from within his house. And the implication is from his desire, that door is going to remain closed. So what's being emphasized in the original language is this one from within. He has no intention, no desire to respond in an affirmative way to this man's requests. Remember that. It's going to be important. So he says to this one, the door has already been closed and my children are with me in the bed. And then he says, I am not able having risen. Now, what does that mean? And here again, most English Bibles don't translate it literally. They'll say, I'm not able to rise. Doesn't say that. He says, I'm not able, meaning I'm not able to meet your requests. But then the scripture says, he has already risen. He's awake. He may even be out of bed in the sense that, that he's there talking through the door. And he says, I'm not able, having risen, to give to you. Verse 8. Now, that is the situation. There is a clear negative response. I've gotten up, but I'm not able, and the implication is, I won't give to you. Verse 8. I say to you, if also he will not give to him, having risen up, that same word appears again. I say to you that, that if also he will not give to him, having risen up, because he is his friend, but because of his, and this is what most Bibles will say, his persistence. But if you do a good study of that word persistence, what what's, is actually written in Greek doesn't say persistence. It literally says being without shame. Now, would you not agree that to knock on someone's house, even if it's a friend, a neighbor of yours, in the middle of the night is not a comfortable thing to do? But this is emphasizing not just that he was persistent, and he may well be persistent, but it says that he does this without any shame. He continues to beseech, 
And he does so without shame. Now, that is to show an intensity, intensity. It is to show that he is totally committed to his objective. And the question that we need to answer is, why? Why is this one so committed? Why is he behaving in such an intense way? Well, Messiah is going to answer that in a moment. But when we look at our passage, he says, it's not because this one is his friend that he will give to him, but rather because of his behavior without any shame. And therefore, it says, he has, has risen to give to him whatever, whatever he has need of. So he's going to do it because of this one's inability to feel shame in this situation. Why is that? Now, again, yes, there's a degree of persistence in his behavior, but what's being emphasized is without shame. What's being emphasized is an intensity because something is causing him to fill in this way. Now, at this time, we don't have an answer. He's going to reveal that at the end of this passage, verse 9. Now, Messiah is going to teach us a few verses in order to encourage us to pray. And he teaches us a process to receiving. Look, if you would, to, to verse 9. And to you, I say, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now, notice there are three things mentioned here. That is to ask, to seek, and to knock. And what he's revealing is a threefold purpose in regard to prayer. First of all, that, that process, that is a, a purpose, meaning this. You have to have the right purpose in your mind in order for this process to be effective and you're going to actually receive. Why do I say that? He says, ask, and it will be given. Well, just because it's given, you may not know where it is. It may not be in your possession. God has heard. He has provided, but you don't know where it is. So that's why he says, just not ask, but also seek. And when you seek, you will find it. You will be able to locate where that provision is is but here again just because you know where it is doesn't mean that you're going to be a possessor of that you also have to knock and only this knocking is going to open it up where you'll have access to the results of your prayer so remember that a three-fold process you must ask and you must ask properly you must seek and you must seek properly. And you must knock in order to have that open up to you. So the question that we have to ask is this. Am I beseeching God, requesting from God properly? 
And then do I go through a process of seeking God's response? And am I willing to knock, meaning do what's necessary, that I can have access to that? Those three things are foundational in effective prayer. And then he says, look now to verse 10. He makes a promise. He says, for all who ask, receive. And the one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Verse 11. Now, he wants to give us some motivation for praying in faith. Knowing who we're praying to. What is his character? What is his nature? What are his attributes? Why can we have confidence that when we ask, he's going to respond? That when we seek, he's going to lead us to finding that? And when we knock, that it is going to give us access to take hold of that, that provision from him, that answered prayer. Well, he's going to tell us. Look now to verse 11. He says, which from you the son should ask his father for bread so if your son and he says i'm opening this up to all of you which of you who have a son that should ask from his father for bread will he not what does he say will he not give to him a stone well of course he's not going to give a stone for for a child who is asking for bread and if even a fish, is he going to give, instead of a fish, a serpent? Is that what he's going to give to him? And the answer is, no, that's not what a father would do. None of you would do something along those lines. And then he says, look now at verse 12. Or even if he should ask for an egg, he will not give to him a scorpion now all these things have significance but what we are taught in a general sense is this god he is our heavenly father and he's going to say if we earthly fathers if we when our children make a legitimate request if we know how to respond how much more so does our heavenly father and that's exactly what he's going to say in verse verse 12 he asks and if one should ask meaning a child for an egg will he give to him a scorpion verse 13 therefore if you being evil now is that important when he speaks to us he calls us evil why is that the reason is very simple. This word evil, and that's literally what it is in the biblical language, is a word that relates to that which is contrary to God's will. And what he's telling us is this. The natural person, and this can also be the one who's been redeemed by the blood of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. We tend to all too often operate not in the spirit, but in the flesh we behave naturally meaning this we behave like that old man instead of the new man that we are so he warns us he reminds us 
of who we are in the past and how that frequently carries into our life after even coming to faith, coming to salvation. He says, therefore, if you being evil know good gifts to give to your children, and it's important that it says children because that word for children is a word of endearment. We love our children. We want to give them good things. And notice the word good appears here. What is that? Well, that word good relates to the will of God. So when a child asks for something that's good, that's proper, that is right, we give it. And therefore, he says, how much more so does your heavenly father from heaven, your father, which is in heaven, that he will give. And here's the key. He will give who? What does the text say? The Holy Spirit. And as I said earlier, that changes everything. That gives us the proper understanding of this passage. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit, when we look at the first place that he appears in the scripture, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, he is called Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. And he is mentioned immediately after the creation of the heavens and earth. And what were they? The scripture says, tohu vevohu, meaning they lacked order. Now, most Bibles will say that they're empty, void, formless. That's fine. But the simple meaning is of tohu and vohu is chaos. It lacked order. It wasn't fulfilling what God created the heavens and earth to do. And therefore, the Spirit of God was moving, and God spoke, and we see something. It was through the Spirit of God and the Word of God that things changed. And it's not by accident that God says, Behold, everything is good, very good. Good means in accordance with the will of God. Therefore, when we look at this passage, look at verse 13. He says, Therefore, you evil being and you know good gifts to give to your children how much more the father the one from heaven will give the holy spirit to the ones who ask him what's he saying here god will give to one who prays the holy spirit why why does he bring into this passage the holy spirit Because the Holy Spirit, his primary purpose is to help us. He's also called our helper to help us into God's will. To be in God's will, to carry out God's will, to fulfill God's will. And here's why most of us fail in how we pray. We pray for our will, wanting God to bless what we desire. That's not prayer. Proper prayer is only, and hear that carefully, Proper prayers only when we beseech God, we ask, we seek, we knock in order that our lives can fulfill his objectives, his purposes. And when we do so, yes, we'll be persistent. And yes, we will not worry about how others look at us. We won't worry about, is this embarrassing? Is this shameful? We're going to be committed to God's will because we realize his will is good. Well, I'll close with that. Until next time, shalom from Israel.
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.